0: This, this morning's message is from Psalm 119, verses 49 to 56. Recently, uh, we used to, like they do in Nottingham, we used to stand for the reading of God's Word, and we moved away from that, not for any like profound theological reason or anything, but just because we we moved to the, the more Bible study format for a while. and It was just a more casual format. But I was thinking lately of, of how we stand under authority, uh, under the authority of the Lord and under the authority of His Word. And we allow His revealed Word govern what we do. And it is a good thing. I think it is a good uh, posture to help us just remember the idea that we're under authority of God's Word, not under the authority of... Gregory of Strafford's Word, but under the authority of God's Word. And as people continue, as, as we meet new people and, and people come in from different walks of life and everything, to have that be a, a clear testimony that we stand in authority under the Lord's Word. So let's, let's reinstitute that today on Saturday, November 23rd, I think, maybe 24th. <laughs> Yeah. So so if you please, if you're able, would you stand in honor of the Lord's word? I'm going to read from the ESV, Psalm one nineteen, <clears throat> verses forty-nine through fifty-six. And now the real challenge is, will I remember to do this next time? <laughs> I think I'll remember if you all stand next time. I hope. Now speaking of remember, pick up in verse forty nine. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen on me that I have kept your precepts. You may be seated. So last, last week, or, or uh, let me re- rewind a little bit more than that. Within the last month, we've been on a theme of God's Word. We looked at Psalm 119 and how God has revealed Himself to us in the Word. And then we looked at the parable of the sower, of how the soil of our hearts is going to determine, along with the Lord's power, how much we accept the Word into our hearts. Are our hearts hard or are they soft? where the the Word will sink into them and take its effect. And I was thinking, well, we have a guest speaker coming. I was thinking this a couple weeks ago. We have a guest speaker coming. Uh, Maybe maybe we'll pick up on something different after he preaches, because I'm not sure what he'll preach on. And interestingly enough, he, in in some different scriptures, preached on God's Word to us. He stayed in the in the um, in the series without any communication, but that doesn't really surprise you, does it? God always weaves things together. It seems like He's always doing that, and that's exciting to see. We see it in the songs we sing. We see it in in daily in in your week. You come together, and there are things on your heart, and then somebody says something, or somebody prays something, or we sing a song, or you hear something from the sermon. And you see God knitting together what He wants you to hear. You see that come, some kind of biblical theme pop up again, and we know that is more than coincidence. So this is interesting because I, I decided to go with Psalm. After give me some thought and prayer, go with Psalm 119: 49 to 56 before Evangelist Denver Thompson came. And you'll, you'll probably hear a little bit of some of the themes of things that he said come up in this. I actually started this before he came and finished it after. Not all the same day, of course. But the Lord knits things together very excellently. So God's revelation. God has given us, God has revealed himself to us, most specifically in Jesus Christ. And he has also revealed himself to us in a special and specific manner through his word. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 1. And when I say chapter 1, I obviously mean chapter 12. (laughs) Chapter 12, verse 1. And we're going to consider this as, as we consider the everlasting nature of God's word. The theme of this morning's message is that God's Word is our unchanging comfort. God's Word is our unchanging comfort. As as years go by, as generations go by, as different seasons of life go by, God's Word is our unchanging comfort. Hebrews 12, verse 1. I'm sorry, this is not Hebrews 12, 1. This, this was Hebrews 1. Hebrews 12 is another one that I like, but it was Hebrews 1. Here we go. This is the second example of that God used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, which gives me great faith for becoming a minister. Long ago... At many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom He also created the world. Long ago, at many times and in many ways God spoke to us spoke, spoke to our fathers, the prophets but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son." When we look at that, we realize that there's a contrast. And the contrast is not that God no longer speaks through prophets. We know that to be true and, and we know that, that in the days of Jesus, Jesus Christ's coming, after Jesus ascended, as Ephesians 4 says, God gave gifts to men and one of the gifts was prophets. But there is a contrast there. In the the last days, he spoke to our fathers, the prophets. In these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. This points to the fact that there has been a final revelation. A final revelation that we now have as what we call the canon, the completed scripture. There's this narrative that we see woven throughout the whole Bible. This whole idea of God creating us. God loving us, and there being sin, and God sending these prophets, and we see this this story arc of God sending these prophets to bring the people back to Him, bring Israel back to Him, and the story climaxes with Jesus' death, His resurrection, and now we're awaiting His return. Once Jesus died and rose again, the rest of the New Testament is pointing to that and confirming that and applying that and and clarifying it. As different people, different groups sometimes came in, sometimes with confusion, sometimes with uh, Christians with their own personal sin as we read a lot in the book of 1 Corinthians. Sometimes people who are false teachers intentionally coming in to put in false ideas. And, and, the re- and the New Testament confirms who Christ is, and that he came, and, he, and he's coming again, and confirms the gospel message. And this is to say that in these last days God's spoken to us through his Son, that is to say we don't need any more books of the Bible other than what we have here. There will, every now and then, probably a lot more than every now and then, there are people who come up with this, this other book, this new book. Oh, God gave me revelation and he has this new book for all the church. Every time you ever experience a cult, every time you hear about any kind of cult or, or a different sect that's a break off from historic Christianity, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, any of those groups, have something in common. It's always either... It's one of a couple things. Either God has given them this new revelation that this is a good starting point, but what you really need is this new revelation here. Or it's that this has been corrupted and then in some more modern time God's spoken to this one guy who has the truth. And that's, those are really their agendas But in these last days, God has spoken through his Son. Last days. And we can have confidence that this is a completed canon, a completed scripture for us. And while God has spoken through his Son in these last days and he's completed this scripture, the glorious thing is he wants to still speak to us. And although it's old and although it's thousands of years old, and was written in a different generation to a different people group, a different geography, different life situations, God will continue to speak to us through it and continue to use it as a comfort and a guide wherever we are in life. Whatever generation, whatever background, whatever life, season or situation, God will use this to speak to us. Life can be painful and the future can be unpredictable but God's Word is unchanging because it's based on God's character, and He is unchanging. We're going to look at this in three different, part, three different points. rather. God's Word is our comfort and our hope in affliction. God's Word teaches righteous living to all generations. And God's ancient Word is our guide now and in the future. First, God's word is our comfort and our hope in our affliction. Let's go back to Psalm 119. Remember your servant in... Remember your word to your servant, rather. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise Gives me life. When we expe- experience some kind of affliction, when we experience some kind of trial, where do we turn? Can you identify a first place where you turn? We all know where we should turn. But is it the first place? Is God the first one you turn to? Is the Word of God the first place you turn? Or is that maybe somewhere along the line? Sometimes, for me, it's somewhere along the line. Sometimes, I turn to some other places, get more frustrated than I already was, get more stressed out than I already was, and then realize, okay, I should have gone to the Word of God first, like I already knew, but I had some kind of idea. Do you ever have an an idea like this? That, oh, yeah, that's true, but maybe if I just turn to this, It'll give me some kind of comfort, some kind of consolation. Where's the first place you turn? TV? Internet distractions? Our plans? Do you ever try to work out a plan and, and try to look at it from every angle and think, well, if this happens, then I'll do this, and you play it through in your mind, and maybe the conclusion that you came to is not, actually looks pretty dismal. But sometimes, and then you do it again, and it's it's like, maybe if I just keep on thinking about it, the situation will somehow get better, which doesn't make sense at all. But do you ever do that? People turn to hope and, and try to receive counsel from all different arenas of life. I was listening to a certain teacher recently, a Bible teacher, who said that a lot of times Christian counseling is often a blend of secular counselors, like secular psychologists' ideas, sprinkled with some Bible. So, you have these people like Sigmund Freud, who was was, a cocaine-abusing homosexual or bisexual, perverse, uh, Christ-rejecting man, who came up with these ideas and well, you know, he was a very smart guy, maybe if we pour some scripture in there, sprinkle a little nutmeg in for Christmas spirit, stir it up, and serve it to the hurting people, maybe God will take that and do something good with it. Now, there can be times when someone who doesn't know the Lord can, can give you some help, some encouragement, some general good advice. Sure, but where do we really turn for the, for the comfort that we really need in affliction? Do we turn to the Lord and what He's revealed to us in His Word? Apostle George mentioned, this was years ago, I remember him saying this. I don't know whether it was in a sermon or in conversation, but he said what he tries to say when people come to him asking for counsel. One of his first questions is, have you been in prayer? And have you been in the Word? And then if their answer is no, he says, go do that. I'm not qualified to counsel you. Pretty good statement, isn't it? Because sometimes, sometimes when we're not in prayer and we're not in the Word and, and we're going through a trial, especially when it's very specifically spiritual in nature, which would probably be more of our trials than we realize if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes we want to we want to get a a quick comment from somebody else and or or maybe we want to go and and just go go somewhere in the world and get get the quick fix. But the Lord really has something he wants to do in our hearts. The Lord really has something he wants to do in our hearts. Remember your word to your servant. In which you made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. Is the word of God your first resort? It's not always mine. Let's make it our first resort. Let's make the Lord the first one we turn to. Often, we learn. We learn to do what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist says, in which you have made me hope." Hoping in the Word of God I think is often a learned lifestyle. It's a learned lifestyle. We all know that we're supposed to do that and, and we can say uh, quick little little Christian statements like trust God, and, you know, give it up to God, and God's got this. And, and we know those are true. But do we really believe them for ourselves? Sometimes, sometimes I spend a lot more time trying to work something out in my brain as if I know better than the Lord. And it never works out that way. <laughs> it never works, out. it's never helpful. We need to learn to let the Word of God, the, His promises to us be our hope. And often it's only the trials that bring us to that point Most of the time, it would be nice if we would just read it and and it would have its full effect on us. We wouldn't need any trials, but in reality, the trials are what really makes it stand in our minds and in our hearts. How many of you can think of a scripture, a passage of scripture or some kind of truth from the Word of God that maybe you knew, maybe you believed it before you underwent a certain trial, but after the Lord brought you through that trial, he, he, you understood that scripture in, in your heart in a deeper, more profound way than you ever did before going through that trial. Ever experienced something like that? God, God has a way of, of helping us to learn that we really really have to hope in His Word. We really have to hope in His Word. There was one time when, when Lydia got really ill unexpectedly, uh, that was uh, a harsher state of illness than I was used to. And I remember Psalm 4, meditating on Psalm 4610, Be still and know that I am God. And I learned that at a whole new level. I liked the scripture before, but I learned it at a whole new level because I realized I couldn't really do much else. I didn't really have other options. I didn't know the future. Still don't know the future. None of us know the future. We learn scripture at deeper levels when we go through trials. And we don't know what the psalmist was going through. In verse 50, the psalmist writes, this is my comfort in my affliction. We don't exactly know what this affliction was. And maybe that's a good thing. Because sometimes when there's a little bit of vagueness in what somebody was going through in Scripture, then we can't say, well, that was like 3,000 years ago. That's, that's what it was like back then. But, but this, is my, this is my job. This is my family situation or, or health or whatever it is. It helps us to see that this is, this is a blanket that covers could cover anything, any kind of affliction, any kind of trial the Lord can... Let his word be our hope. So, practically speaking, what does that mean? How does that work out? How, do, how does the word of God become our hope in our affliction, our comfort in our affliction? Do you have specific scriptures that you have memorized? Do you have specific scriptures that you know where to turn for help when you need it? Maybe there are certain, maybe there's certain uh, challenges in life that come up kind of regularly, or that you know that you're in sometimes. Do you have a certain place in the Word of God that you can turn to during those times that God specifically speaks to you during those times of affliction? It helps to be specific. It helps to be specific with those things. You know, if, if we're going through, um, if we're going through a, a great challenge of physical illness, John 3.16 might not really be the greatest scripture to quote. You could quote it, nothing bad's going to happen to you. But um, if you're saved already, you might want one that's a little bit more specific to the illness, or, or specific to the, the challenges that the illness brings. Be, be specific, find specific scriptures, have some memorized, have some go-to scriptures. Do you have those? Do you have those in your mind? Do you, what trials do you face today? Think of the trials, take a quick inventory right now, the trials that you face today or that maybe you're expecting to, to face very soon And here's a question to ask yourself. Do you have scripture memorized? Or at least do you know where you can turn to find that scripture that relates to those trials specifically that you can find specific comfort from? And if not, go find some. That's the challenge. Find some. Find some specific scripture that can help with that. The psalmist then goes on to say, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. That your promise gives me life. God's promises often look different or, or pan out differently than what we expected, eh? This is, my pro- this is my hope, my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. Scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. The Old Testament Saint Abraham had a promise from God that he would become the father of many nations. And when God told him to sacrifice his only son that took so long for him to have on faith that God would somehow bring his son back from the dead. That didn't make sense at all. There was nothing in his life before that we know of that would possibly be some kind of like point A to point B kind of thing. It wouldn't be like, oh, well, God usually brings my animals back to life after they die. So he's obviously going to do the same thing with my son. No, no. But Abraham believed God on his promise even though it went against every every fragment, of not, every fragment of common sense to him, every fragment of, of um, his own logic, probably, because God's promise is greater than those things. Abraham believed God and was credited unto him as righteousness. And what happened when Abraham went to sacrifice his son? God provided that ram in the thicket. Was, God, was Abraham ex- expecting a ram to appear in a thicket? Probably not. Sometimes God's promises pan out differently than what we expect. Abraham knew that God would make him a father of many nations. Asked him to sacrifice the only son that he had. He looked beyond the situation and just believed in God's promise and just went on in faith. Fully believing in what God would do. Sometimes God's God's word doesn't seem to make sense in our situation. And we believe it based on God's trustworthy character. Evangelist Denver Thompson commented a lot on that. God's trustworthy character. That he's not a liar. That he doesn't lie to us. He speaks the truth to us. God's promises and pan out differently than what we expect. So if you're going, if you're looking to the Lord to see how this will pan out, if you're looking to the Lord and looking at Scripture, seeing how it'll pan out, sometimes we get an idea in our, in our minds that it's going to look like this. Maybe it'll look a little different. Maybe it'll look a lot different. But be willing, if it pans out differently, not to mistake that for something else. Not to mistake it as God, that this is not God's promise panning out. Abraham saw the ram in the thicket. It was pretty clear to him then, of course. But nevertheless, he moved on, sacrificed that. Your promise gives me life. Abraham believed God, and all God's promises in Christ are yes and amen in Christ indeed. I do not turn from your law, the psalmist says. The insolent utterly deride me. The arrogant people are persecuting him. They're doing something to him. We don't know what the situation was. But I do not turn away from your law. Consider the parable of the sower. Remember what one of the people did when they, when they took, took in the seed of the, of the good news, the seed of the word of God. They held on to it for a little bit, but when the trials of life came up, when the thorns of life came up, they fell away, fell away on the count of persecution. That's something that we have to be aware of. When we take in the Word of God, something's going to come up in the day, maybe later in the week, maybe later in the month, later on in life. When that trial comes to us, do we let it rock us and and shake us away from the Word of God, or do we like the psalmist, stay true to it and not let it turn us away. A question of the soil of our hearts that goes back to the root. God's Word is our comfort and our hope in our affliction. And then we go on, God's Word teaches us righteous living to all generations. Take a look at verse 53. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked, who forsake your law. Hot indignation. Indignation is a a righteous anger. This is different than a cheapskate anger. Do you ever have a cheapskate anger? I do sometimes. The other day I was in the mall, and as I was making my rounds, someone just muttered something to me. And then when I walked by again, he muttered something again. And I wasn't even 100% sure that he was talking to me, but I was 99% sure. And I was, and then I caught myself, it was something so insignificant and stupid, it wasn't even worth addressing. But I, but I caught myself a couple days later thinking back to it. And I was starting to get frustrated and thinking like, oh, I could have said this to him. Oh, I could have said that to him. And I start playing it through my mind. That's cheapskate anger. Don't do that. That's not what the psalmist is speaking of. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law." There is such a thing as righteous anger. And the righteous anger, usually we see that in Scripture, the righteous anger is not something that when, when someone insults us and, and we're embittered because of it, that's not, so, that's not the righteous anger there. The righteous anger we see most, sp- most purely in Jesus. We see everything most purely in Jesus. And in this, we see, we see the righteous indignation when he was consumed with zeal for his father's house. The famous example, we know it when he, when he made a whip and overturned tables and drove out the money changers. He was consumed with righteous indignation because people were trying to rip people off and defraud them as they came in to worship God. They were, trying to, they were putting a hindrance to worship of God. Indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. So let your anger be holy. As we are in the Word of God, as we take in the Word of God, and as the Lord renews our mind, it's good if we get righteously angry about sin. We ought to. That's a good thing. That's a sign of life. But the question is, how, how do we experience that? Is it if we, if we hate the sin itself and if we examine ourselves and make sure that, it, that we hate the sin and we make sure that we are realizing too that apart from Christ, that could be us. If we're doing the sin and we're not angry about it in our own lives, but we are angry at it in someone else's life, that's not righteous indignation. That's 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 just hypocrisy, right? That's a question. Sometimes we see something in someone else's life that's corrupt, and we get all flared up. And some of the reason sometimes is because we have the same thing in our lives. And that anger is kind of a kind of a mask to to be mad at oh mad at them. And the reality is, we need to look in the mirror. We all need to search our hearts for that when we find the anger flaring up in us. Make sure that's righteous indignation. Ephesians says, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say don't be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. Is our anger mixed with sorrow? Do our hearts break for those who are turning away from God's law? Who turn away from the Lord and live in? and outright sin? Is our anger mixed with humility? Saying, there, there, there I will go to," and let me take heed lest I fall as well. And does our anger finally drive us to more righteous living? Does it, what, what do we do with the anger? What do we, do we just stew on it? There's nothing godly about that. It's not like a crock pot, where if you stew on your anger enough, you'll just become more sanctified after a while. Become more bitter, right? Do we stew on it we, we have different ways of expressing anger so, some of us stew on anger some of us rehash it in our minds that can be my that can be my vice is i'll rehash something in my mind and and play it out different ways and think about it some of us will blow up on the spot we have different ways of doing this but the question is does it drive us? Do it, does it drive us to the Lord when we see sin, when we see wickedness? Does it drive us to the Lord? Does it, does it make us hate the person? It shouldn't make us hate the person. That could be us. It could have been us. It could, still, it could still be us, even as Christians, if we're not walking with the Lord. There are some Christians who, even knowing the Lord, have a very deep valley that they turn to. As Paul said, He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. But does it drive us to want to live for the Lord more righteously? Does that righteous indignation burn us and and make us say, no, I, I don't want to ever be there. I want to pray for that person, reach out to them. And does it make you hate the sin and want to put sin to death in your own life? May the Lord do that in our own lives. When we see sin and wickedness, may it make us, may the Holy Spirit well up the righteous anger to make us hate the sin in our own lives and reach out with the gospel to others and finally God's ancient word is our guide now and in the future God's ancient word is our guide now and in the future verse 54 says your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. We're aliens here. If we know Christ, if you know Christ, you're an alien. A stranger on this earth. Sojourning. On a journey. Just passing through. We have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. Your statutes have become my songs in the house of my sojourning. Songs have a way of reaching us at an emotional level, do they not? We replay them, them in our, our minds. A song, a tune, we touch it at an emotional level. And do you feel the same way about the Word of God? This might have been a song at one point. In fact, you can probably find any of the psalms as songs recorded at some point in history, modern times even, much of the Psalms were songs sung. Do you identify with this like a song in your journey, in your journey through life, as you go through the different seasons of life, not knowing what's ahead in the future? Are the Lord's statutes, that is the Lord's commands, the Lord's teachings, are these your song? Is this this the beat that's in your head? Do you Have this in your heart as you go through the sojourn of life. Become intimately acquainted with the word. Are you surprised that you're here? This church right now, this town, your life circumstances, whatever your life circumstances are, are there any that surprise you that you just couldn't have foreseen five years or maybe five days ago? think that would be yes for all of us, right? Whatever season of life we go through, let the statutes of the Lord be the song in the house of your sojourning. You Sojourn through this, this alien world. The statutes of the Lord be your song. Hold to them. God's promises, again, might unfold unexpectedly. And we see this finally, most specifically, and the Messiah. And we'll, of course, be looking at this from a different angle as we approach Christmas season. But there are, people have said that there are something like 300, and you'll get different numbers from different people, but a kind of common number is like around 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled when he came to earth. Of course, somewhere about his death and resurrection there're so many promises in the word of god about the messiah coming yet so many people missed him so, some of the people who knew the most about the bible wasn't called the bible then but you know the scriptures those who were experts in the law who had so much of it memorized they just missed the mark they missed jesus when he came they missed the Messiah, all these promises foreshadowing and pointing to him. But when he came to earth, they missed him. They were expecting somebody else. They were expecting uh, a more military deliverer. They were expecting someone who would solve these earthly problems of the Roman occupation and such. And they missed the Lord. So here's a question for us When we, when we claim the promises of God, and he brings them to pass in our lives. Do do we recognize him when we see them? And are we willing to accept the promise of God panning out in a different way than what we expect or what we hope? In reality, his way is better. His way is much better. God's ancient word is our guide now and in the future. God's word teaches us righteous living to all generations, no matter what what, the, what the, the sin in the per- present culture is, God's word always teaches us righteous living. And God's word is our comfort and our hope in our affliction. Let's join together in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, we, we thank you, God, for uh, your everlasting word. Thank you, Lord, that you've, you've kept it through all generations. Thank you that you've preserved it for us that it is still true today, uh, despite all the, the different hands that have been on it, the different, different centuries uh, of, of the world going on, that you've preserved it for us, you've kept it for us, and that you've given it to us, and that you want to comfort us and guide us with it. Thank you, Lord, for that. We pray, Lord, that you'll, you'll make it specific to us and help us to help us to find the specific scriptures for your comfort and your guide for us to hold on to as we sojourn in this life. We ask this all in the holy name of Christ. Amen.